This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. When I first began to study some of the cults as a young Christian and witnessing to some of the people who were in the cults, I was always going back to Deuteronomy 18.22. This is what it says. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now, this is a great verse for super simple refutation of cults and false religions that purport to have prophets, but whose prophets have prophesied falsely. In other words, one false prophecy out of the mouth of a so-called prophet is enough to tell you that he's a false prophet and was not sent by God. And what does God think of such prophets? If you go up a few verses in Deuteronomy 18 to verse 20, he says, but if any prophet dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or to speak in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death. Now that's how seriously the Lord takes false prophecy. And yet, tragically, we have seen a number of people in the modern day professing Christian church recently utter false prophecies about the reelection of Donald Trump. Now, I want to play you a brief clip of some of these so-called prophets. Listen to this. I want to say without a question, Trump is going to win the election. At 4.30, the Lord said to me, I am going to give your president a second win. Trump will win. He will be president of the United States. He will sit in that office for four more years and God will have his way in this country. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute landslide. Will it be an eight year presidency? Absolutely. Absolutely. We will. Uh, you're sure about that? I'm sure about that. I saw that President Trump is is reelected. And then I saw that then the the uh, system the system that was intact that he's he's found he's been fighting against, he is going to take things out by the root. I declare Psalm 89 verse 21, let your hand establish President Trump and let your arm strengthen him. I declare Psalm 98 1 that your right hand and your holy arm will give him victory. We declare victory in the name of Jesus. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. The Lord says it is done. The Lord says it is done. For I hear victory, 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 victory in the quarters of heaven. In the quarters of heaven. Victory, 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 victory. And I prophesied that he would um, not be impeached and the fact that he would win another term. And I was completely wrong. I take full responsibility for being wrong. There's no excuse for it. I I think it it doesn't make me a false prophet, but it does actually create a credibility gap. And a lot of of people trust me, trust my ministry. And um, I wanna say that I'm very sorry for everyone who put their trust in me. 
Oh boy, there you have it. So that is a video by Charismactivism and the false prophets and the last one apologizing and saying, hey, just because I prophesied falsely doesn't mean I'm a false prophet. Well, what does the word of God say about all of this? We're going to tackle it today with Don Vino, president of Midwest Christian Outreach, who's been writing about it over at his website. Don, welcome. It's great to have you back. Great to be had. Yes, just because I uttered a false prophecy, Don, doesn't make me a false prophet. Uh, it's just a cred- little credibility gap. What do we say to that? Well, what we say is, let's go to the Word of God first, which is where you began. Uh, And I would also go back a few chapters earlier, because there are two uh, definitions of false prophets. Uh, And I would suggest these particular false prophets fail on both counts. Yes, explain how, because you're talking about Deuteronomy 13, right? I, I am, yes. Yes. In Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 13, it's, it's also pretty clear that if a prophet makes a prediction, and it does happen, in other words, the false prophet could make a true prediction, but they lead you to serve other gods, false gods, they are a false prophet. <laughs> so let's ask some questions. Uh, does the God of Scripture depend on man giving him permission to work in the earth? No. Or is he autonomous from us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So you don't have an all-powerful God amongst the uh, New Apostolic Reformation folks. God God has to have permission to do stuff from us. Uh, Secondly, the God that they talk about is clearly a fallible God who doesn't know all things. He didn't know about COVID, for example, uh, and was prophesying all things would be warm and wonderful, and we've had the best year ever (laughs) in 2020. And then COVID hit, and everyone was completely shocked and taken aback by that. So their view of God is decidedly not the view of the biblical God that we are taught about. So I would say they're false prophets on two counts. Right. Now, these are really important things because I know going back to the cults, and I know you've done lots and lots of work on the cults and exposing the cults. I was thinking to myself, if you can just utter a false prophecy that you said was from God, then we owe an apology, don't we, to Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell and David Berg because they made false prophecies about the end of the world and about a comet destroying the U.S. back in 1974, and that never happened. I mean, don't they get some kind of leeway to just apologize and move on if these guys can? Well, if we are going to be consistent as a church, they should get a uh, a mea culpa, a uh, oops, uh, a do-over, whatever you want to call it. But Scripture doesn't give you that option, really. Right. right. Uh, and in fact, it is so. It is so. This is such an intense issue. You pointed out in Deuteronomy thirteen, uh, Deuteronomy eighteen, the same prophet shall die. This is the same thing in Deuteronomy thirteen. The same prophet shall die. Uh, and in Zechariah, we wrote on that this week. In Zechariah thirteen three, it says this really interesting passage: If anyone again prophesies. His father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live. You speak lies in the name of the Lord. Mm. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. So not only is it in the hands of the people, it's in in the hands of his own parents to carry out this capital punishment. This is serious stuff. 
Well, it is serious stuff. And the thing that really, you know, there are a lot of different things you can say about these prophecies, but it seems that over the years, these particular, you know, some of these particular folks sometimes come back with lame excuses. Well, I misheard. It's not the Lord's fault. I just misheard. But this begs the question, Don, what makes them think that they have a direct line for God to speak to us when we have a Bible? Why do we need them to tell us the future if the Bible is complete, if the canon is finished? Why do we need these people to say these things? Okay, that's a valid question. If I were a charismatic, I would answer it this way. Yes, we have a complete canon. However, in Acts, we clearly see that in the, in the uh, which many take as the start of the church, uh, that God also raised up those who would be prophets, would receive visions and dreams, etc., etc. So, my response to that is, yes, you may have leadings, inklings, even a dream or a vision, but you're always cognizant and aware that it may not be from God. It could just be heartburn. So you have to handle those very carefully. <laughs> right. I don't want to hear about your heartburn, the thoughts you had about you, your heartburn. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? I, I do. We can, we, get, we can get internal leadings and things. I've, I've had them myself, and I'm, I'm cessationist. But uh, I had a situation one time where a young lady that we knew uh, was uh, had left our house going somewhere, and about two hours later I felt... I felt driven to have to go find her. Didn't even know where to look. I just knew that something was wrong. And as I got to the intersection trying to figure out what to do next, her car drove by. That's a leading. I have other times where I had a similar leading, and I will call someone and say, I'm not sure why, but I feel like I need to call you. And they go, well, I don't know why, but I'm glad you did. But mm-hmm. no. <laughs> so that's one thing. You're not saying God told me. You're saying, I, I suspect, I feel like I'm being led. And when you say, thus says the Lord, God said X, that is a clear prophecy. It is. And must be tested as a prophecy. Scripture demands it. In uh, Matthew seven fifteen and following, it's a really great passage. Uh, because as you follow it through, it says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So it tells us two things. One, we're looking for false prophets. We're not looking for true prophets. <laughs> two, they're going to look like true prophets. Yeah. Hang so on a second, beware. Don. Yeah, let me pick it up on the other side. This is great stuff, and we'll come back to it on Janet Mefford today. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Mabel walks 18 miles to church every Sunday. She lives in Zimbabwe, where churches are widely scattered in remote regions of this African country. That's one reason why she travels so far. The other reason she walks nine miles each way is that the gospel has truly captured her heart. After coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Mabel reads and studies her Bible, and she's discovered that the gospel is meant to be shared with others. So with the help of Bible League, International. She's learning to share her faith and she's helping to see a church develop closer to her village. Bibles are desperately needed in Africa and around the world right now. And you can send one to a Bibleist believer today for only $5 or $50 will send 10 Bibles. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800 Yes Word. That's 800 Y E S W O R D. 
800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Did you notice how many so-called prophets said God told them Donald Trump would win a second term in office and that didn't turn out to be the case? Stolen election or not, it's one thing to say, I hope that President Trump will get a second term. It's another thing to say, I think Donald Trump was actually uh, treated wrongly and I don't believe that all of the votes that came in actually were valid votes and I think we were gypped. That's one thing, but to stand up and to say, God told me and I prophesy and this is going to come to pass and then to have to have egg on your face after the fact and say, well, wait a minute, Joe Biden is now the president. You have to go back to the word of God and see just how seriously the Lord takes Anybody who claims to speak for him, whose prophecies do not come to pass. And Don Vino is with us, president of Midwest Christian Outreach. He's written on this. Don, you were talking before the break about this very important point about looking for false prophets. We're not looking for true prophets, but going back to Matthew. Can you can you pick up on that point? Absolutely. Uh, just just one side note, by the way, you, you raised the issue of the uh, was the election stolen. Uh, whether it was or not, it also then cuts to the God they worship because he didn't know it would be stolen. See, that's, that's another good point. Good. Yeah, good point. He's, he's, he's not omniscient, obviously. Right. Uh, so, yeah, Matthew seven fifteen and following. So he's uh, the picture is this. You've got a Jewish rabbi, the Messiah, who would die for the sins of the world. As it happens, he's also the one who gave the language of Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18 to Moses. So he's the author of the test as well. Mm-hmm. And he's talking with a Jewish audience who has this memorized and says, beware of false prophets. They already have the test in their mind. They know exactly what it is. They, uh, uh, they'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. By their fruits you shall know them. The fruits are their false prophecies, not anything else, because you're looking for false prophets. You're not looking to see if someone's a Christian, not a Christian. You're not looking for, are they a, a hot dog vendor? You're looking for false prophets yeah. who come to you looking like true prophets. And as you follow the text through, when it gets all the way to the end, and he says, uh, uh, on Judgment Day, they'll say, but didn't we in your name prophecy and in your name work miracles? And in your, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So it didn't matter that they performed miracles. It didn't matter that they prophesied in his name. It mattered that they were false prophets. That's what they are to look for, and that's what you are to shun. Now, we don't stone them to death today. We don't live in a theocracy, which is fortunate, 
for adulterers as well. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. So, so, but they should not be in the pulpits in our churches around the nation or around the world. They should be immediately moved from removed from the pulpits. That's right. That's such a good point because when when you hear these excuses for why these people uttered false prophecies, they like to talk about everything but the false prophecy, don't they? Yeah. Because that's the main problem. But I'm a good guy, but I'm a Christian, but I've been right before, but I misheard God, all of these other excuses. So well, how are we to treat people like this? Because when you see some of these people, there would be a range, I would say, from heretic to maybe, I don't know. I don't know how you classify all these people that I played in that clip in the last segment. How, what do you do with these people at this point? Well, I, I can I can only respond to how I understand the text of Scripture. Now, I know Michael Brown, for example, uh, stated flatly in, in a recent article that he did uh, that they prophesied falsely. He's clear mm-hmm. uh, that they made a false prophecy. But then he goes on to create two additional categories from false prophet, true prophet, to falsely called prophet, to prophesy falsely, not to be confused with a false prophet somehow. I don't know. Weird. Uh, <laughs> That's confusing. And, yeah. Well, but it gives them kind of a, a you know, a, a do-over. We, we just, you know, we're in te- we have good intention. It's all intentionality. It's not about accuracy. We don't find that in Scripture. So let's take a category difference, just like category difference, that has the same punishment, capital punishment. Let's say... It's an adulterer in the pulpit. Do we say, oh, I know, your intent was not to have an adulterous affair. It just you got swept away in the moment of the, uh, of the, of the, of the setting, uh, and you had this fling. Uh, and so you can just go on to be the pastor. Mm-hmm. Would we say that? No. No. Uh, what about a pedophile? Uh, yeah, I, I know you really have difficulty. You're born again. I understand that. And you struggle with the sin in your life, uh, and you are—you really love the Lord, and you're, uh, you're such a good pastor. And this is just your one kind of little hiccup in life. So you just go ahead and be a pastor. No way. Would we say that? No, no. way. Mm-mm. No. In both cases, in the Old Testament, they were stoned to death. That was it. No discussion about it. No, my intent was. No, I didn't. It was. And so, how do, how does this differ? This only differs because it doesn't seem to many as dangerous or evil. It is both dangerous and evil because you're dealing with people's spiritual lives. Right, right. Well, doesn't this also cast a a notion of, well, how do you say it? It it hurts the credibility of Christians in the eyes of the world because there were so many of them. There's so many of them saying this, almost as if this was kind of a, and and I don't know people's motives or intentions, I can't speak for any of these people, but it does kind of look like, hey, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon because it gets me attention. It, It really does look like that to some extent. Well, and that may be the case, but you know, you've known us a while, and 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 you know that we really try as much as possible to focus on the content, not the intent. Yeah, you have to. I can't. Yep. I can't deal with someone's. I don't know what someone unless they tell me. Right. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think some really well-intentioned people can be misled or mislead themselves. I mean, the scripture tells us that in the latter days they will wax worse and worse. Uh, deceiving and being deceived. That's an interesting phrase, deceiving and being deceived. So 
you could have someone who is well-intentioned but is themselves deceived and in turn deceiving others. Right. right. That's why intention doesn't matter. Well, that's uh, right. And the other thing that strikes me, Don, is that we have, I would say, something of a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord per Amos. And I think many of us recognize this and, and recognize that it's getting worse. On some level, what also bugs me about this is the fact that we have an entire Bible that I would argue most Christians don't read and don't understand. Can we just stick with the text of the Bible and leave your particular urgings or leadings or what you think is coming from the Spirit that can't be verified by the Bible, leave that aside, even if you think it's from God, and stick to the Bible? Why is that so hard? We need to be fed by the Word of God as it is written. I can tell you why it's harder. It requires work. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, as you do that work, you start learning some things about just reading, uh, context, understanding history, why. I mean, just little weird things. They're not in the Bible, and most people don't really think about them, but I do because I have a kind of a weird mind. And so you have this uh, this rabbi that comes along, uh, and he sees these two, you know, fishermen kind of guys and says, you know, drop your nuts, follow me. And immediately they drop their nuts and follow him, and you go, why did they do that? That's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> what you're missing is, <laughs> growing up Jewish in the first century, your goal was to be a rabbi. You memorized the Torah. You were examined from time to time as you were growing up, while you were also learning your father's trade. And when you were, uh, the day you became a man, then you went and met with a rabbi to be discipled. And he gave you a test by asking you a question of a verse and you had to respond with a verse immediately before or after that text he recited. Hmm. Uh, you didn't have chapters, numbers, or anything, and so you had to know it by memory. Hmm. At the end of which, he would say one of two things. Follow me, which means you passed your test, you're now a disciple, or go and ply your trade, which hmm. means you failed. Hmm. What do we find these two guys doing? They're plying their trade. That means they failed. So they're second stringers, number one. Oh, number two, when the rabbi comes by and says, follow me, they left immediately because they're going to be rabbis. That mm -hmm. was the driving force. Now, that's the history behind that. That answers that question. Reading the Bible requires some of that. It requires work. It requires understanding the history, the context. Why did Paul write this? Why did Jesus say that? Why? Did Moses uh, communicate what he did? All of those things factor into the questions of reading the Bible. And I have to tell you, we have a largely illiterate church because church leadership are not teaching their Bible, A, to love the Word, B, to learn the Word, C, to study the Word, and D, to think about life logically and use your mind. Because it does say to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and guess what? With all your mind. That's right. So. That's what we have, and that's what's going on in the church, and that's what we need to guard against. How would you tell Christians to guard against these kinds of false prophets? Is there a way that we can discern them ahead of time, or we just have to wait for them to say something silly that's not true and then figure it out? Or, or how do we discern these sorts of false teachers and false prophets? Well, uh <laughs> 
One way is just to say what group are they hanging around with. I mean, True. If it's if it's a heretical group, then it's, you know pretty pretty sure they're going to be teaching false prophecy. If you have like Bethel Redding, right? Bill Johnson, one of the biggest, uh, uh, has a, a school of prophets. Oddly enough, of which he <laughs> says that in order to graduate, you have to make three false prophecies. Oh, good grief. That's crazy. So, yeah. No. <laughs> so he's teaching you that false prophecies are okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, and one of the pastors there was one of the ones who came out, and you heard that in that clip where he was saying, oops, I, right, I, I apologize. Right. right, right. Volaton, and said, oh, just because I made a false prophecy doesn't mean that I'm a false prophet. I mean, again, Don, this is very important for people to keep in mind. Go back to the Word of God every single time. Be a Berean about all this. I wish we had more time, but you can check out Don's great work at MidwestOutreach.org. Don Vino, thank you. Keep up the good work, Don. It was great to talk to you again. Read both articles. Contact me if you have a question. Sounds good. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, now that we have a progressive back in the White House, how might that change the landscape for Americans' health care? The Washington Examiner recently reported that President Biden is likely to overturn President Trump's 2018 executive order, loosening rules for short-term health insurance policies, which was an effort to provide alternatives to Obamacare plans that Democrats described as sabotage. But the Washington Post reports that the president is poised to put Obamacare back on even stronger footing as well through some more executive actions. We're going to get some thoughts on it now from Matt Bellis, Chief Communications Officer for Liberty Health Share, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. And Matt, it's always wonderful to talk to you. How are you today? Always a pleasure to be here, Janet. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, we have a new president in place, as everybody knows. How do you anticipate things might change when it comes to the entire health care issue? Obviously, we have these executive actions that could be forthcoming, but how are you looking upon the entire health care issue right now with a new White House? Well, as it pertains to the laws that we have had, uh, what we see in the rumblings that we have heard is that there will be a returning more to ACA practices. There may be a reversal of some things. Uh, As you know, back in 2017 with the tax bill, uh, there was the removal of the penalty for health care, or at least not having health care. Yes. Yes, uh, that that would, of course, take an act of Congress to change. But, you know, Congress passes bills all the time. So that could change. That's one of those things. But as it pertains to the executive orders, we, we have seen some certain things that have come down the pike that were reversals of uh, of uh, Trump era policies and, and executive orders. Like you said, the short term limited duration plans. Uh, there are some things as it pertains to pharmaceuticals as well. So we are going to see some changes in health care. 
you know, to me, all signs point to a little bit more expensive, a little bit more bureaucratic. Uh, I don't think that uh, people are going to start pulling people off of uh, ventilators and things anytime soon. But, uh, you know, as it pertains to government bureaucracy and in healthcare, we are going to see more of that. Well, I guess that's just par for the course and nobody's really surprised. But, of course, going back to the advent of the Affordable Care Act, there was a provision that was put into place so that, you know, Liberty Health Share could operate as a health care sharing ministry. And do you anticipate that that's still going to stay the same? Absolutely, because uh, we have certain things within the ACA that are non-severable. Uh, and so that issue may come up again, but with healthcare sharing, we're here. We were here before the ACA. We're here during the <laughs> ACA. Uh, we'll be here as as long as we can stand it, uh, because there are so many people that want to be a part of healthcare sharing and what we do that we are continuously fighting for them and their right to do so. Well, right. Uh, the good news is, even in a greater bureaucratization of medicine as we go into the future. Uh, healthcare sharing still is that uh, that bastion of, of freedom where individuals can gather together to share in their medical bills and give a level of uh, control back to the individual patient. Well, so right. That's what we're hearing to, here to do. We're committed to it. Well, that's excellent. And, you know, it's funny because people do sort of bat an eye now on the issue of Affordable Care Act, given how many uh, people are suffering under the unaffordability of the Affordable Care Act and how much more premiums have gone up, especially people who have health care coverage through their employers, for example, and and maybe some questions arise about how is it that Liberty HealthShare actually can be affordable in a way that a lot of people are finding insurance simply is not? Well, we do certain things within healthcare that really drive the cost of healthcare down. We actually release the most cost-effective, most cost-efficient force in healthcare today, and that's the private pay patient. A patient who is taking on the responsibility of health care themselves, but is backed up by a community of people to share whenever that need comes, that is a force to be reckoned with because it puts the patient back in charge. You have the power of the purse strings again that allow you to shop, that allow you to find the best deals, to guide and manage and direct your own health care free from the constraints of a third-party insurance system or government program. So really, when it comes to healthcare, healthcare sharing gives you back the control, and that is all the world of difference when it comes to healthcare. In terms of savings, we still negotiate on behalf of our members. Uh, we find ways to make sure we're paying as little uh, for healthcare as possible. Uh, we use uh, pricing models that allow us to get the cash price for healthcare. So many multiple options to make those healthcare bills. 60, 70, 80% off of build charges. It's just been fantastic. Actually, Janet, you might like to know that I just learned today that with over the past four years of Liberty HealthShare doing business with our members, we've shared in over $1.2 billion worth of medical bills. Wow. So it's just been fantastic to see 
the rabid success of Liberty HealthShare. Well, that's exciting. And, you know, many people who are just getting going on the healthcare sharing ministry way of doing their bill paying for their healthcare needs, they have a lot of questions, one of which happens to be about how doctors and hospitals get paid. Because they'll say, I know how it works if I have insurance, I hand over my card to the receptionist and she takes care of everything from there and I might get a copay and then later on I might get another bill saying you still owe us more money after your insurance company pays. How does it work when you have a private um, patient pay system in place like you do? How does that work if you go into the doctor? Walk us through that, if you would. It's actually not very different from what other people recognize. You actually just have more options and more choices open and available to you. When you go to the doctor or hospital, you show your Liberty HealthShare membership card. That directs the hospital on how to process that bill and send it to Liberty HealthShare on your behalf. If the hospital wants to work with you directly, you can have them bill you and you can send us the bill. Uh, we even have members of Liberty HealthShare who prepay and then send in the, uh, the, the amount of money to be paid back to them. It just gives you an amount of options that you can utilize throughout your healthcare, so you're not stuck to only one model. We love to be able to be involved and to try to negotiate those prices, so we suggest that the hospitals and doctors send the bills to us, but with Liberty HealthShare and as a member of healthcare sharing, the options are open for you. So whatever works best, we're here to help you. Well, now you use something called the share box. What is the share box exactly? And how does that play into your entire system of healthcare sharing? Well, that's our online portal that we use for all of our sharing, giving, and receiving. That's where our membership comes together as a community to share in our medical bills. You see your bills there. You can see how they're paid. You can even interact with other members and uh, send messages of, of prayer and encouragement in their times of need. Our share box is just one of those online areas where we gather together to do the work of actual healthcare sharing. Right. So that's good. And that's one of the advantages I know that is so different than if you are in an insurance plan, because you're not talking to other members of insurance companies when you are struggling maybe with a cancer diagnosis or some other kind of you know terrible illness. And you really could use people coming alongside you and saying, I'm praying for you or or sending you, you know, thinking of you today, these kinds of things that the personal angle of the Liberty Health Share community really is an advantage, isn't it? Just from a personal standpoint, to be able to connect with other people who are, in many cases, maybe going through the same thing you are. Absolutely. It humanizes it. It feeds the spirit to know that you have other people out there who actually are out there praying for you, helping you. I mean, I've been on there seeing people say, you know, I'm going through cancer, but the person who's really suffering is my husband who has to see me go through this. And then right. other people pipe up who say, oh, I, I've dealt with the same thing. And they're able to be of support with one another all the way to the point where we've seen somebody say, hey, I don't know how my horses are going to get taken care of oh. during my illness. Can someone help me? And People are able to, uh, to to work together and coordinate and be with one another. It's just a fantastic community to be a part of. Well, that is exciting. And it's really easy to get more information. There's a website that you can visit. It is libertyhealthshare.org, libertyhealthshare.org. And more information is available there. Matt Bellis with us from Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Always good to talk to you, Matt. Take care. 
You as well. Thanks, Janet. All right. Thanks a lot for being with us. We'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and in January, we are honoring the preborn and the more than 60 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion. The Ministry of Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. By equipping pregnancy centers with free ultrasounds, Preborn is able to meet abortion-minded women at their darkest hour and shine the light of Jesus. You see, when a young mom considering abortion walks into a preborn center, it's a divine appointment where she encounters the love of Christ and the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her. I feel like it was meant for me to have this way. This is something God gave me for a reason. 80% of women in crisis choose life after meeting their baby on ultrasound. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Meffer today to help save 350 babies? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody said. The Ministry of Preborn is seeking heroes right now who will partner with them to give the gift of life to babies in crisis. Preborn believes it is God's heart to save the preborn from the abortion genocide. Would you please join with Preborn and all of us here at Janet Meffer today to help choose life for 350 babies, all gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes toward the cause of life. One ultrasound session costs $28 and for a gift of $140 you can sponsor five ultrasounds but any gift of any amount will help $100, $200 or even a gift of $15,000 will buy an ultrasound machine. Call 855-402-BABY 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. The Biden administration announces it will deliver vaccines for 300 million Americans by the end of summer. Well, we'll see if that actually happens. That was an announcement earlier this week from President Biden saying that the administration would buy an additional 200 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine in order to reach these numbers. That's basically everybody in America Everybody in America wants the vaccine, or is it just kind of putting everything together so everybody has to have it? We'll see how this kind of flushes out. But he said they would get these vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, the two companies that are providing these vaccines. And he says this is going to help make sure that governors and mayors and local leaders have greater certainty around supplies so they can carry out their plans to vaccinate as many people as possible. I'm still curious to know of the pretty sizable number of healthcare workers who refuse to get the vaccine. What what are the stats on that right now? I just think it's interesting. There was another person, I think it was in California, I just read about a healthcare worker who died right after getting the vaccine. Look, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm really not. But I'm seeing and I'm noting some of these injuries, some of these deaths. People think, I think, a little too utopian-like about vaccinations sometimes. As people have pointed out before, there are, you know, funds to reimburse people for vaccine injuries. And and that's been around for quite a while because they do occur from time to time. Nothing is risk-free. 
And I know for a lot of people, the vaccine is a godsend. They don't want to have to go through COVID-19. They have underlying health conditions or they're vulnerable because they are elderly. I totally understand why you'd want to take the vaccine. But like I said, nothing is guaranteed to be risk-free. We don't live in a risk-free world. Every single thing you do is a risk. Some things are more risky than others. And in the case of COVID-19, for many people, it's more risky to sit around and perhaps contract it and not know how you might deal with it if you were to contract it than to actually take the chance and get the vaccine and trust these pharmaceutical companies. And you may well be glad you did. For other people, they're not so sure. They might be the ones saying, I want to wait to see how this goes. I don't want to be one of the first guinea pigs. I know they tested people, but they didn't test everybody. They didn't do all this testing on pregnant women. They didn't do substantial testing on elderly people in particular. I want to see how this plays out. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But I don't know how the government is going to put up with this because we have progressives in charge and we know what they're doing already. So who knows where it will go. Meantime, we can't seem to shake Dr. Fauci. I don't know how long this guy who was recently revealed to be the top paid government official making even more than the president. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of $417,000 a year. What does Fauci do that's worth $417,000 a year other than go on CNN in a loop film and constantly change his story about what will keep you safe? I came across this from the CNN Global Town Hall. You got to say it that way because these people are so so pompous. We're having a global town hall. Yeah, because nobody else who has a cable TV network can reach the globe, except all of them. Anyway, this was hosted by Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Anderson Cooper, and they had on the COVID-19 guru, Dr. Anthony Fauci, to answer a viewer's question about when immunity begins after you receive a COVID-19 vaccine. You are just going to love this answer. Listen to cut two. One of the worst parts about the pandemic is not being able to travel freely to see our grandchildren. My husband and I just got the first dose of the Moderna vaccine, and on February 19th, we'll get the second dose. When will we have immunity, and when will we be able to travel? Now, we just heard Dr. Walensky say now is not the time to be traveling, but, but what about this type of situation specifically? Well, you know, what, what the, what the uh, person who, who called that question in said, when will they have immunity? Well, you can get some degree of protection, some degree that is endurable, you know, 10 days to 14 days after the first dose, but you can't rely on that. The maximum immunity begins about 10 days to two weeks and beyond following the second dose. That goes for anyone regardless of whether you want to travel or not. That would give you, as a group, about a 94 to 95% efficacy and a good safety profile. The situation, though, does not change what Dr. Walensky said, that it is not a good idea to travel, period. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Uh, Let me go over what he just said, in case some of it stunned you too much at the very end when you heard what he said, given what he said right before that. He was answering this viewer's question about when she could travel. We got the vaccine, my husband and I, elderly couple, we got the vaccine. When will it be safe for us to travel? We miss our grandchildren. We want to go see our grandchildren. What do you think? So he says, you'll get a little bit of immunity after the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. That happens within 10 days to 14 days, but you can't rely on that. So after the second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, that's when you will reach this maximum immunity, which takes place 
about 10 days to two weeks beyond the second dose. And that gives you 94 to 95% efficacy and a safety profile. Then he finishes off by saying, you're not safe to travel. (laughs) Well, wait, then why is anybody getting the vaccine at all? You can't travel? What do you mean you can't travel? You can travel. I've traveled many times during the pandemic. I've flown many times during the pandemic. I'm still here. And I'm not saying you can't get the COVID-19 when you're traveling. But can we live our lives at any point, you people? When do we get to live our lives? Here's my answer to this. Do what is wise to do, given your circumstances. And these things are different for everybody. Perhaps you do have to make trips across the country. You do have to fly or you do have to get in your car and drive to another state because somebody you love needs you. And if that's the case and you weigh the risks and you take precautions insofar as you can, whether it's getting the vaccine or washing your hands more or wearing masks inside or what have you, then do it. But are you going to let the government tell you, sorry, sorry, even with that vaccine, stay home. Sorry, the grandkids are just going to have to look at pictures of you for the rest of your life and you probably will die before they get to see you, but at least they'll be safe. I mean, this this guy, what in the world? And the whole panel's like, oh, wow. That's really deep, Dr. Fauci. But Fauci doesn't want you to take off your mask. See, this is part of it. Let's listen to the rest of what he said. This is cut three. I mean, if you absolutely have to travel and it's essential, then obviously one would have to do that. But we don't want people to think because they got vaccinated, then other public health recommendations just don't apply. One of the biggest things that are really not well understood is people ask, Why should I even have to wear a mask after I get my second shot? And the reason is very clear that the primary endpoint of the vaccine trial was clinically apparent infection. So you could conceivably get infected, get no symptoms, and still have virus in your nasopharynx, which means that you would have to wear a mask to prevent you from infecting someone else, as well as the other side of the coin, where you may not be totally protected yourself. So getting vaccinated does not say now I have a free pass to travel, nor does it say that I have a free pass to put aside all of the public health measures that we talk about all the Mm. time. This guy's absolutely unbelievable. And did you see that New York Times piece from a few days ago saying that really what you ought to be doing is wearing two masks or we could take them off and live our lives? That's another option and just wear them in more pressing situations. Did you catch what he said there? So even if you've had the vaccine, COVID might be hiding in your nose. It might be hiding in your nose, even though you don't know you have it and you have no symptoms. It could be stealthily hiding in your nose and therefore to be protected from the covid that's in your nose that you're immunized against. Wear a mask. How does this make any sense whatsoever? And then even worse, he says it would protect you from getting covid or giving it to somebody. But additionally, if you have that mask on after being vaccinated and having covid hiding in your nose, you'll be protected against somebody else giving it to you. Let me see if I get this straight. So somebody else with COVID-19 wearing a mask is going to spread it to you if you don't have a mask on, even though you already have COVID living in your nose. Let me ask you a very important question, Dr. Fauci, not that you're here. This is all playing, playing here. But what about if you haven't had a vaccine, but you go to a Washington Nationals game and you're sitting in the bleachers 
at a Washington Nationals game, yucking it up with your friends. Can you take off the mask then? I'm just wondering, because we have all seen the picture of you yucking it up in the stands of a Washington Nationals baseball game. You didn't look all that concerned about masking then, did you, Dr. Fauci? Well, did you? He didn't say anything at all about the importance of masks in that particular moment. So it's masks for you forever, apparently, and stay home for good. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave. Don't do anything. Do you begin to get the feeling that there is more to this for the progressives than meets the eye? If so, I'm with you. Masks because COVID lives in your nose, but you're immunized. This just... And of course, the panel all said, oh, that's so wise, Dr. Fauci. Unbelievable. We got to go. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. Take care. We'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. Help us save 350 babies' lives by the end of January through a gift of one free ultrasound. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.